Ready to start your ESG journey? Get going today with Social Suite, and you could start reporting publicly in 30 days. With investor pressure mounting and regulations just around the corner, there's never been a better time to start your ESG reporting. Social Suite takes the complexity out of environmental, social, and governance reporting. Social Suite helps organizations to measure, monitor, and report on their progress with fast, simple, and affordable software. Create value through ESG in order to raise capital, improve brand and reputation, as well as mitigate risk. Social Suite has helped almost 100 micro to small cap companies report on ESG, with some starting their baseline report in under 60 minutes and reporting publicly within 30 days. ESG is a lot easier than you think, and you're probably already doing it. So take your sustainability reporting to the next level with measurable progress. Start your ESG journey today with Social Suite, an ESG software company for micro to small caps. Visit socialsuitehq.com. That's social, S-U-I-T-E-H-Q.com to learn more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Ryan Gopal, CFO of Global Crossing Airlines Group, Inc. It's a publicly traded company. I got two symbols for you, JET on the NEO and JETMF on the OTCQB. Global Crossing Airlines Group, also known as Global X, is a US 121 domestic flag and supplemental airline flying the Airbus A320 family aircraft. Global X flies as a passenger ACMI and charter airlines serving the U.S., Caribbean, European, and Latin American markets. In 2023, Global X entered ACMI cargo market flying the A321 freighter. I found Global Crossing Airlines Group on several forums that I subscribe to, notably on Microcap Club. And you might be asking yourself, oh oh boy, an airline, Here, here we go. However, since starting the company in January 2020, which we talk about at length, actually, uh, Global Crossing Airlines has grown significantly, and I wanted to better understand how and why this occurred, plus Global Crossing's growth goals and how they hope to achieve them, the original thesis for the company's founding, addressing downside risks and adding more planes to the fleet, and how folks understand the company. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Ryan Gopal, CFO of Global Crossing Airlines Group. Ryan, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Great. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you on. So I've this is our first time ever doing an interview together. You know, I, I found out about Global Crossing Airlines Group through uh, a couple different sources, Microcap Club in particular. And so wanted to invite you on and just better understand the company. I, I understand that it's only about two years old. And so uh, not a long history, but a lot's been happening. So, yeah, a bit. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's dig right in. You know, I ask every company on here the first this is their first question. So, what what would if you had to describe uh, Global Crossing Airlines Group in one sentence, what would that be? Uh, Global Crossing Airlines Group as an entity uh, 
fills fills the need for air travel that existing carriers cannot. And so we do that through uh, uh, ACM, what we call ACMI Charter and uh, Supplemental Lift. Very good. Okay, so let as as I alluded to or, or said at the top, you know, it's not a long history. You know, sure. the company's been around a couple of years. So take take us back. You know, when was the company originally, you know, officially founded, and sure. what was that original thesis for its founder? So we originally founded. Uh, we basically launched an airline in in January of 2020, uh, which wow. if the history books as a guide would be, uh, was an interesting time to start an airline. Uh, and, and we did it for a reason of we saw an unmet need for for customers' needs were not being met in the U.S. and North American markets. Uh, we provide what we call ACMI charter, so that's whole plane charter, but on the big bit with big planes. So A320s, uh, we use the A320 family of aircraft. For those who aren't familiar, it's when you get on a plane, there's three row, three seats on either side, single aisle. That's that's us, right? So. Our CEO, who's been doing this for 45 years, uh, most recently had launched Eastern 2, had great relationships with customers who kept saying, hey, we wish there was another player in this field. We think there's room for someone with an Airbus product. We think there's room for someone who can provide differentiated customer service. Uh, and and with that in mind is what he launched. He went to go launch the airline. So we initially kind of got our um, our, our start by signing a merger agreement with Canada Jetlines. So Canada Jetlines had attempted to launch a ULCC carrier, which is an ultra low cost carrier in Canada. Uh, it did not It did not succeed. They kind of ran out of money before they got started. Uh, Ed negotiated a kind of a reverse takeover. So we merged with them, took 60% of the shares, changed the name to Global Crossing. And, and that really kind of launched us in June of 2020. So we imagined when we were doing that raise, uh, was during the initial lockdown. So it was when Zoom was kind of a new thing. Conferences by Zoom was a new thing. Uh, but that's that was how we did it. We, we got launched, we got traded, and we instantly went into what we call our certification process. So in order to operate these type of aircraft in the United States, it's highly regulated. It's very difficult to get. It's called a 121 certification. Um, there's only about 10 or there's not a lot of operators who have it. Um, the ones you know of are all scheduled carriers like JetBlue's, uh, um, Delta, United, American, you know, those are all what we call 121 carriers. And and because we're flying such big equipment and we're flying so, so many people per flight, we are subject to the exact same regulatory standards as those airlines. So uh, we embarked on getting that certified. Uh, normally, that's a three to five year process. Again, we did it by Zoom in little under a year. So by August 7th of the following year, uh, we were officially approved by the Department of Transportation and the FAA to start flying flights for revenue. So that's where we really started. Uh, we started with one aircraft on day one. Um, our first flights were uh, domestic flights for like sports teams was kind of our initial ones. Um, an interesting part of our history is about a week after we got certified, uh, there was an, uh, as you knew, there was that issue in Afghanistan with the evacuation. We were called by uh, the U.S. government to see if we could help um, funny how a lot of your approvals get, you know, greenlit pretty fast when you're willing to send aircraft. But we sent two air, we ended up sending two aircraft to Kabul to do evacuations for, um, citizens out of Afghanistan during the uplift. And we were the only U.S. carrier to do it. We we're the only 121 carrier to do it. Uh, and we're pretty proud of that was like our first week of operation. So, um, uh, that's how we started. And then, so since then, we've started with our passenger business. 
we started, and our business model is actually quite simple, is uh, our growth is driven by adding aircraft. You add aircraft, you add capacity. If you add capacity, you add revenue. If you add revenue, eventually you get to scale and then you get to profit. So fast forward to today, uh, we have eight passenger aircraft. Uh, we have since launched our freight operations, which we can talk about as well. Uh, we did about $100 million in revenue in our first full year of 2022. And uh, I think we projected last earnings call about $140 million for this year. Very good. Thank you for that full update and overview. And there's a lot of different things to go down. But let's start on the, on you know, you say that you have eight aircraft currently. You know, I, I, on one of the th- threads I, I was reading, you know, and getting prepared for today. And, and maybe you can clear this up. Does the company own the aircraft or, or you, rent, you, you rent it and then you rent it out? Is that, so how that work? ideally, as a mature airline, we would probably own half and lease half. Um, but we took, you know, never waste a crisis, as they say. We took advantage of COVID and were able to uh, structure some really advantageous leases at probably half the price we would have paid pre-COVID uh, on our initial aircraft, on our initial eight aircraft. All of them are, on, what I'd say, fantastic deals. Uh, we target a type of aircraft, uh, midlife, they're called midlife, 12 to 20-year aircraft. Uh, and and they, they were significantly impaired as a result of COVID, and we took advantage of it. So the other the other thing we talk about and we're kind of we're proud of if you think about normally it takes it costs between thirty and fifty million dollars to get an airline certified, just certified that that gets you to August seventh, right? We did that for less than eight million. Um, not only we and to get to profitability, it usually cost a hundred to two hundred million in capital. You know, we managed to get to break even in. Profitable in Q3, you know, slightly negative in Q4, and, and profitable going forward with less than 30 million uh, raised to date. So um, we have been very efficient with capital raised, and that's also by design and, and necessity is the mother invention. Uh, but we're pretty proud of our, our discipline in that area. Uh, so when you start thinking about an entity and its return on capital, which is a metric people don't talk about much anymore, but when you look at our return on capital employed, it's significant. And so, and we're, we're proud of that fact. And that's, that's kind of the nature of the way we're structured. Now going forward, there are some reasons it makes sense to own aircraft. Um, but you know, we're, we're not really in a position to buy aircraft, but we think that makes sense as a longer term vision. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you spoke a little bit about to what I think some of us would agree is a bit of a moat to get started with a similar business model with what you guys have, but maybe you can dig into that a little bit more of like, okay, we went down this path yeah, we I recognize there could be a risk somebody else maybe could come in, but it still takes time to get, you know, fully regulated, all the licenses, everything right. like that. So maybe maybe you can give us a little more color on that because I think people want to better understand, you know, what the moat currently is and then yep. how you get to that profitability and going forward. Yeah, I think um I think the way the moat is, there's there's a couple, right? Uh the first moat is the 121 certification. You know, the FAA has made it pretty clear. They're very resource constrained. There is not going to be another 121 for a while. Um, you know, the last significant 121 carrier certified was when Ed did it with Eastern in 2015. The last flag carrier, which is what we are, and that's a, that's a kind of a different level of, of certification, was JetBlue in 2001. So many people attempt to certify. Very few are successful. Uh, and the process, if someone was to start today, that process is three to five years. Um, so that's just that, um, which is a pretty significant moat. And, and we're pretty, you know, there's, there's a limited supply of those certificates and once you have them, they're valuable. 
I think the second the second barrier is we're now delivering fantastic service to an underserved community that's now being served, right? So you'd have to be differentiated from us. And and we've actually, some of the investors we've had who have gone in on some of the private placements were looking to start 121s and then they met our team and were like, well, we'll just join you. We're <laughs> not gonna try and beat you because it's, it's a hard enough game to get to this stage. Very few people get to this stage despite best efforts. And um, we're pretty excited about what this platform we've created means because it's it's really hard to create this platform 100 percent. there's there's no questioning that that's for sure i mean especially you know starting an airline business in january 2020 no no one's questioning your gumption <laughs> by, by yeah, any I, mean. I remember i was with the, i was with a bunch of buddies <laughs> you're doing those uh we're doing those you know those those zoom calls with all people you haven't talked to in 20 years that everyone did when we first went into lockdown and i, I remember i was doing it with some of the guys from university and one of them just said slow clap for the optimism. And um, I, I never forgot that line. And uh, I was like, yeah, we're doing this. He's like, you're starting an airline. Sure you are. <laughs> okay. So, Jeez, uh, and we've actually started too, because we ended up spinning off Canada Jetlines, raised them some money, and now they're in operations too, which is, we're really proud of as well. Gotcha. So you mentioned, you know, some of the customer base, you mentioned how uh, obviously you're basically your first week in business, you sent two planes to Afghanistan to help with the evacuation there. And then fast forward, I think it was maybe a week or two ago, I saw a press release or maybe it was a press release or a post how, or or maybe it was last week, actually, where the company, you had the plane for to send uh, the US men's soccer team for the game against Granada, you know, so clearly the, the, it's, I think for me, when I was doing my background due diligence, like that was one problem I was trying to better understand was like, who is the customer they're really serving is like, it kind of runs the gamut. So can you give us a little more info there? Yeah. So, you know, when we think about our customer base, it's varied, right? So one of the advantages we have, and if you want to think about us and if you want to, I always try and equate our business to other businesses, maybe I've been in or other people would understand, you know, if you think of a scheduled airline as um, a fixed price business, so once they set their schedule, 90, uh, 97% of their costs are fixed, right? They have to now manage that fixed cost, sell enough, manage their cost, you know, manage. We're a cost plus model, right? So we, so inherently we're much lower risk, right? Which is why we require less capital. But as a cost plus model, we basically can point the metal, the aircraft to where the customers are and provide it in a manner that they want. So it's kind of like, you know, I worked at Burger King and said, have it your way. Well, that's kind of how we are. But with big plans. So who wants that? Who's looking for that kind of thing? Um, a big consumer group is the college sports teams. Um, you know, for NCAA, we've done over 70 flights for the NCAA as part of the March Madness for both men and women's women's groups. Um, that's a big client of ours. Uh, you look at tour operators, we are pretty much the dominant operator from southern Florida to Cuba right now as a charter. There's a big charter market for it. Uh, we are the dominant player in that. Um, there's a big charter market for tour operators going from uh, South Florida to Dominican Republic. And we are the dominant charter in that. So we basically own those two spaces, which is great. Um, other groups that would hire us, uh, the U.S. government, uh, whether it's for ICE or CBP or moving people around, the U.S. government is a big is a big player in this space. Another big player is Music Acts. So in the summer, we did a lot of tours. Bad Bunny, Lady Gaga, Coldplay. And it, it sounds cool. Like, you know, you're not flying. Sometimes you're flying the talent. Like uh, we are flying, you know, a couple people right now. 
a lot of times it's the crew, right? It's the stagehands, it's the dancers, it's the background, and the and so that's another targeted group that we do we do customers for. Um, we're looking at flying for, and we have another group that we have, have started to develop is is other airlines. And so where that is critical is we really see there's a lack of capacity in the market for probably the next two to three years due to delays and deliveries. And you don't hear airlines scaling back their schedules. And so you're going to have a problem where they've got, they've grown their schedule, but they haven't grown their capacity. So when you go back to what I say we do as a core business, as we provide capacity where there or we meet needs that are un, not being met by the existing operators. And so we are seeing this summer, we'll be doing a lot of flying for existing airlines. Uh, and so, you know, when you get on an aircraft, you buy a ticket on one airline and then you kind of get to the gate and you're like, well, that looks different on the inside. Well, that's, that could be us. And so we see a really big opportunity for that for now and in the future, as we have shortages of pilots, shortages of equipment, we are the person you can call on demand. We're on demand supply. Uh, whereas a scheduled carrier can sometimes take months to ramp up and get everything put in place. For sure. All right. And forgive me for my noobishness with this next question. So uh, bear with me on this because you say, so back up, you have eight, we have eight planes in the, in the fleet, right? Yep. So, you know, and, and, you know, we just answered my, my question very well about, you know, the customer base and all the things that you're doing. It seems like a lot with eight planes, right? I, so am I, am I missing something? Is my brain, I, listen, I know I have an IQ of 84, you know, so I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out, but like, help me. How, how does that, how, how does that work? And saying on demand, like, obviously it seems like you need to, to get more, more planes. Yeah. So. You know, we would not, you, you don't build something like this to have an eight, an eight airplane fleet. You just, you just don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, it makes no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense. So, you know, that's why we talk about when we go to, um, when we talk about growth, we've created a platform that's scalable to hundreds of aircraft. And, and so, and that's, and that's the plan, right? Is so the plan is now there is, you know, there's regulatory issues, there's safety issues in, in the sense of you want to make sure you are doing it in a safe and efficient manner. So that's the most important thing we could possibly be doing. And so you can't just add eight aircraft. You know, it's kind of like you have to hire crews and people and infrastructure. So there's kind of a cadence to you adding them. So we've gotten eight pretty quickly. Um, you know, we set our target plan is to add one more passenger in April with potentially another four or five in, in 23. The reason we say potentially is Sometimes it's outside of our control, right? So these planes could be in maintenance. These planes could be needing repairs. These planes could not, you know, the lessors could be late in delivering them. So sometimes we, we, we endeavor to have them delivered. But until they're, you know, my mindset is here's what we know is coming, firm delivery dates. We're negotiating everything else. And, you know, that could be in one month, two months, or six months. Got it. Yeah. So, so then. You say that it's a platform for, you know, other carriers out there. Can you explain, can you explain how that works? So it's a platform for us, right? So the platform is for us to add aircraft. And so by us adding aircraft, we can go address different customer customers through our platform, right? So one of the greatest opportunities COVID created was you had this amazing asset in A320 or seventh of Boeing's as well that were, you know, they were $40 million dollars. Before they're now they're like fifteen million. Are they worth thirty and now they're ten? So you can make money on that two ways. One, you can buy one for ten, like a house, and hope you can hope you can rent it out again and 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 make and make the money. Or 
you can get a certificate and go fly the plane, you know, and, and, and go make money that way. Right. So um, I think from our perspective, it, the platform allows us to monetize what was a highly depreciated asset from the, from COVID that has not yet recovered. And the reason it hasn't recovered is because you need a platform like us to monetize it. And there's not a lot of those platforms out there. I said that was going to be my next question is the kind of the COVID tailwind, basically, you know, that, that kind of it, from what you're telling me, it sounds like it's really pushed you guys a lot more forward. I mean, do you still, because without question, you can ask anybody listening to this who's traveled in the last, you know, year, yeah. two years, it's a nightmare yeah. <laughs> and, like, and everything is just way more expensive. And so, you know, and you, you kind of mostly alluded to this, but like, how does, you know, uh, the company really solved this issue. And also, how do you find the, these planes that are now kind of just uh, potentially available at these depreciated costs? Yeah. So um, finding the planes is, you know, we have a group that basically works. So there's lessors. There's a significant lessor community. There's a significant airline community. And there's a whole ecosystem about, um, think of it as a massive used car lot in the sky. Um Actively marketing, um, promoting, and trying to sell sell these aircraft. So that is just a, a, an expertise we've developed in house uh, that we work through, and and, and that's kind of how we that's kind of how we manage it. Um, the trick is finding the you know you need three things to make it work. You need a plane, you need pilots, and you need customers, right? And so uh, we've also gotten very good at recruiting pilots. Uh, we have a great pilot core. We're up to almost a hundred pilots now, up from twenty seven in December last year. Um, and that too is a massive asset because it does you no good to have the metal if you can't fly it. And so when you combine those two things and then you're available, right? Like, you know, it's a hundred, a lot of the times you're, you winning the work is, do you have an aircraft? We need to get from here to here. Um, and, and we can do it. And so I think that's, that's one of the reasons it's been pretty, it's been pretty, you know, a great couple years for sure. Uh, and we're really excited about the future. For sure. So let's look at the competitive landscape. I mean, obviously, there's just the whole airline industry in general. But I mean, are there other companies that are starting to deploy similar business models or? Actually, they're exiting, right? So historically, you saw airlines like Sun Country, uh, Avalo, Sun Country, uh, Allegiant, JetBlue, Delta would have some of their business in in charter operations, what what we're doing. Um, but they can better utilize their assets because they have the infrastructure in scheduled service. So they've actually been exiting the market. Um, we have one big competitor called Aero. They're private. Um, they have a relatively older fleet. So we feel really comfortable competing head to head with them because we have much younger aircraft, which makes a difference on reliability, fuel consumption, and, you know, all the other ways you can differentiate yourself. So, uh, again, we saw it as a grossly underserved, right? So, um, underserved market and, um, and that's and that's kind of where we're at. Got it. You know, so you you've kind of started doing the you know even though you've just went public, you relatively recently. It's been about a couple of years, you're a couple of years mm-hmm. and change here. You know, you've done a few investor calls, I'm sure, and yeah. the and conference, the whole bit. So, what would you say even after you know they've had a chance to talk with you and the team? I uh, had a chance maybe to interview Ed as well. You know what what. What are investors still potentially confused about? Maybe we can answer some of those frequently asked questions here. Yeah, no. Um, I think some people don't understand where our so, so we don't have, you know, one of the things that look at is if you have a long-term contract. Everyone wants to see a long-term contract. 
Um, but that's not the nature of the business. Like, you know, when you go to fly, do you buy all your plane tickets for the next three years? Right. So it's no real different than us, you know, for a sports team, they don't know what day their games are going to be or, or what their schedule is, but when they do, then they go contract it out. Right. And so when we did our earnings call, we talked about, you know, 140 million projected, uh, 81.5 contracted because we've gotten better at locking stuff in further in advance because people know us and we got a huge repeat customer base. Um, I think, you know, there is, uh, from that perspective, uh, that that's an issue. Um, some people kind of are like, well, we don't really, if the math is what the math is, we don't understand why you're at this share size, this share price. My, my first reaction is me neither. But um, the I think the answer is, is you know, micro caps, as I'm sure everyone on this group knows, aren't necessarily properly valued based on who they are. Sometimes it's a function of who's buying, who's selling, to the, can they get the investor's attention? Um, can you get the right people to support it? You know, we've had people who've been in the pro in, in with us for, you know, one, two, three years. If some of them are selling and I haven't matched the buyers, you know, it'll hit the share price, but it really has nothing to do with the underlying business, which is still incredibly strong. And so I think there's that aspect. Um, people are concerned about cash, always cash. Um, you know, we've, me too, you know, that's kind of how we, how we manage this. And one of the things we benefit from though is we never fly a flight that loses money, right? So everything's cost plus, everything's paid in advance, everything's cost plus. So we don't have that accelerated burn that an, avi- an airline can have when they're flying a whole bunch of empty flights, which is where they get smoked, right? Like, you know, we can, we can, if in the worst case scenario, we could, you know, scale back the flying, furlough people, reduce costs, and, but we don't have to, you know, set money on fire by flying an empty plane. We did, and that's where the, expo- the losses can be fast and furious, as they say. We just don't have that. We don't have that model. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about my next question here, but I ask this to every company as well. You know, in your opinion, what what would you say are some of the company's downside risks that maybe we hadn't address haven't addressed yet? Downside risk? Yeah. Um, I think for us, if we don't grow, you have to always be growing in, in this business. Um, you if you see us be stagnant or not adding aircraft or not growing, that's that's not great. You because your cost will naturally grow as people get more experience. There's natural increases in pay rates and and, and other aspects to the infrastructure. So you need to be continually growing. And I think that's that's what we're really focused on doing. Um, one of the things we put and we projected this year was, okay, um, if we don't add any more aircraft other than ones we've contracted and paid for, which is the nine and two, we're gonna still increase revenue by you know almost 70%, right? That's pretty good, right? But that's not, that that's our base case. That's like, if I don't add anything, I, we still can grow on top of that. And we can still grow in subsequent years. And so, you know, we're trading at what 0.6 times revenue, um, which is, you know, interesting <laughs> from us. But, you know, I think that's the downside risk is can we keep growing? Uh, people worried about, okay, what if there's a recession? Well, one of the things we, when you look at our customer base, no one's recession proof, but they're recession resistant, right? So the sports teams, they're going to their games, right? Whether you whether the whether the economy's in the crapper or, or, or blowing out, they're going to their games. Um, the U.S. government's going to be flying their contracts. You know, the Department of Defense is going to be doing is going to be doing their work. And you know, some of these charter flights that we're doing, they're still going to continue. So we feel we're rather insulated from that kind of negative downturn. And because we're on a cost plus model, you know, we really want people to think about our model differently than another airline, right? So another airline, if they get any one of their pieces wrong could lose a ton, right? Everything versus cost plus. If I get fuel 
completely crazily wrong, I have a mechanism to go back to my customer and ask them to pay the difference. And if they don't pay it, we don't fly the flight, right? And we get paid in advance. So if if I don't have to worry that I've only sold 50 seats on this 200-seat aircraft, because I sold the whole aircraft and paid for the whole thing, If whereas another airline would, I don't have to worry that I'm not selling my seats for enough because I, I charge them a rate for the whole plane that I want to make. So we've really de-risked a lot of the aviation stuff, which makes this more suitable to a micro cap world because it has the big upside with not all this huge, you know, infrastructure risk that a, that a scheduled carrier does. Absolutely. So one other question, because I know everyone's probably going to want me to ask this on here too, is the path to profitability. You know, you, yep. you, uh, for full year 2022, you know, as you've said, the company did about, what was it, about about 100 million in revs um, yep. with a net loss of about 15.8 million, something like that. You know, yep. so love to hear what the game plan is sure. to get for that path. So when you think about EBITDA, so there's three levels of profitability in airlines. There's EBITDA, EBITDA, and, and EPS, right? So EBITDA, so EPS is earnings per share, EBITDA is, you know, add back interest, depreciation, taxes, and amortization. EBITDA is you take EBITDA and add back rent, right? Because if you owned all your aircraft, it would all flow through EBITDA anyway. But if you lease your aircraft, it flows through rent. So this allows you to compare airlines, right? So we've been EBITDA positive since June every month, right? So we hit that hurdle. Um, We were profitable in Q3. Uh, We did have a loss in Q4, but that's because we were going from, we were investing in pilots and training we launched cargo to go from seven aircraft to 11 aircraft you know in in, in, early, in by early april so we are our losses are a function of investing right we can't capitalize pilot training we can't capitalize certifications we can't capitalize any of these costs we have to expense them so i would actually see that as a positive positive element you know we project profitability this year but you know I'm constantly battling and, and weighing profitability versus growth because there is such a huge, you know, we're not doing this to be a hundred million dollar company. You know, we're not doing this to get to 150 go. We're good. You know, we're doing this to create a $2 billion company. And so you're not going to do that. If you just wait to be profitable, then invest, wait to be profitable, then invest. It'll take me 20 years. Right. So we are, we are very focused on growth. And, and, and there's a reason, you know, we went from one aircraft to seven, like fast and and faster than most people can do. We've launched our cargo operations. We're going to go from two to 15 right now. If you, and, and, the, and the guidance we've given, and it's, it's disclosed is if you take eight passenger aircraft breaks you even, you know, the profit from that covers your overhead. Cargo aircraft will generate between three and 500,000, let's say EBITDA per month after you pay for the plane, after you pay for everything. We're going to have 15 of them generating three to 500,000 per month and our overhead's covered. So that's, you know, that's uh, within 24 months from now. You can do the back of the envelope math and it's tough to see. It's it's a classic microcap. You take a look at that and you look at the upside potential and you look at what it can be. And I would like to think that the time of people who go into microcaps tend to be a little more risky, a little more venture-based. Um, they are looking for something like that. And and I think we've created this great platform. We just got to get better at telling the story. Well, you're here. You're talking to me. Yeah, there we go. There's a reason I'm here. I was going to say, there's a semi-decent start, you know. Um, 
Well, you know, Ryan, I want to also ask your background. You know, you're CFO of the company. You sure. know, what what attracted you to this opportunity? And also um, a little background on Ed too. I think that would be good. Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll start with Ed because I like to. I don't like talking about myself, but so Ed, uh, Ed graduated from West Point, uh, served in the U.S. Army, uh, and then got involved in, in aviation in the original Eastern in the early '80s. Um, you know, his bio is if you go on, you know, I'd encourage you to go online to read it. It's long. Um, but he's been in the business for 45 years. Um, he started four different airlines. Um, he was one of the, the people who kind of led Chapaqua Airlines, which turned into United Express, which we've all heard of. Um, he managed Bewe Airlines, which is Caribbean Airlines now. Uh, he launched Eastern 2 uh, back in 2015. Um, he's launched, he's a, he's a serial entrepreneur. He's launched um, numerous leasing companies, different travel companies. Um, the benefit from our perspective as a company of having someone like Ed involved is he literally knows everybody in the business. He's literally seen everything that go, that works and doesn't work, which is equally as important. Uh, and he's been really great at kind of driving the business and forcing a pace that we need to be on in order to be successful. Um, my background, you know, I originally uh, grew up in Canada, went to grad school in the U.S. and was in oil and gas initially, uh, working for the Halliburton's and Slumberjays of the world. And that's kind of where I got my, you know, fixed cost, cost plus kind of mindset, because that's kind of how those businesses are run. Um, I was part of the Burger King IPO in 06 uh, when they um, when they went public the first time, uh, which was a great experience. And then uh, prior to this job, I was working with another airline up in Canada for two years. And aviation is kind of like the Hotel California of industries. Once you get in it, you never get out of it. Um, there's certain pace and kind of a coolness to it that, you know, you either really love it or you can't stand it. And um, I just happened to be one of the people who loved it. And Ed reached out to me, one of his core invest seed investors had worked with me on prior, prior projects and asked me to help. I'm employee number two here. So I've been here since the beginning. Um, kind of help guide and work with him as we built this thing up. Very good. All right. Well, a couple more questions for you here today. My, this is one that I, I also ask everyone on here. You know, in your opinion, well, and speaking maybe for you and Ed, because I'm sure you guys have, have locked heads on this one, is or, or trying to be in step with each other on this one, is you know where do you guys want want to see this company in three to five years, and what would you say are the inflection points that'll get you there? So, uh, fifty aircraft, two billion dollar market cap um, is kind of we're we're lockstep on that. Um, half cargo, half passenger um, is is really what the what the driver has been. And, and I think the inflection points have passed. Um, just it hasn't been recognized. You know, the inflection point was getting our 121, was getting our passengers certified, was getting our cargo certification, was getting our first cargo plane. Those were the inflection points. Now we have a series of mini inflection points as we take delivery of additional aircraft. And so the, the real kind of burdens to entry or barriers to entry have been overcome. Um, the certifications have been earned. Uh, the, the customers have been found. And and now it's just a case of taking what we've created and adding aircraft to it and growing and continually to find customers, continually to find the people to help us execute on the mission. And uh, that's that's really that's it. It's it's super simple that way. I, hey, we all like simplicity there. Hey, yeah. one one quick question on the the adding the aircraft part. I mean, how has the you know from maybe the past. Um, 
I guess let's say delivery dates. Have they all been on time from it, or no. like what? Yeah. What's been going on? I'm yeah. sure people are probably hearing that like, all right, we were just waiting on aircraft, but like, Hey, I've been waiting on a delivery from frigging a, a, a crate and barrel for six months, like uh, let alone an aircraft, you know? Yeah. Um, you're not wrong. And so, you know, we've been working closely with, uh, and, and basically one of the reasons aircraft deliveries are late, and it, it, we, I hate to say supply chain, but it's supply chain is, when we get an aircraft, it goes through what we call heavy maintenance. So they basically tear it apart and rebuild it. Um, and just like renovating an old house, sometimes you find stuff. And, you know, we've had instances where like, all right, we're ready to go. Oh, crap. The, the, the main landing gear pin broke. Six weeks, right? And we need nothing. Now, the good news for us is it's not on our dime, right? Like it's not us who's incurring that cost. It's just a lost opportunity cost. Um, so... We are very aggressive in, in getting deals signed. You know, we, we talk about the LOIs we have in place. We talk about the delivery dates uh, and we're, you know, we say pushing around here a lot, which I hate, um, but it's working really, really close with the maintenance organizations to get the plane ready for delivery. And so, um, but our problem is also our opportunity, right? Because we're experiencing it on a smaller scale. Our customers are experiencing it on a massive scale and, and it's significantly hampering their ability to grow, but they're able to sell tickets so then they call us, right? So, you know, as they say, never waste a crisis. Uh, and every crisis creates an opportunity, which is what we're designed to do. Very good. All right, Ryan. I mean, final question before I let you let you out of here today. I mean, like I said, you've are gotten started doing the dog and pony show and talking with investors, talking with various institutions, all that stuff, you know, working on getting that, you know, continued support. You know, how much, if at all, have your you maybe current shareholders, prospective shareholders have influenced any of the the management team's uh, decision-making process? Um, You know, we have a pretty vocal shareholder base. We, you know, just through the nature of how we were formed, we have over 8,000 retail shareholders. Um, Most are not shy about expressing their views. I think if you went on our last earnings call, we had 90 minutes of Q&A. In so much as how does it influence you know, Ed's got a pretty good vision of what he wants to do and when he wants to do it and how he's going to do it. Um, I think we 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 listen in the sense of ultimately they're the owners too. And so, you know, we like to think Ed and I are aligned because we have, you know, we have a stake in this business. Um, but we're not, we're not, what we've heard is there's frustration over delivery delays. Me too. <laughs> um uh, you know, they've liked the transparency. We've tried to be as transparent. If you Google us on YouTube, you probably find about 20 videos, you know, 30 hours of, of us talking about the business and the opportunity. Um, so we've tried to be transparent. Uh, we've tried to bring, you know, help explain when things might not make sense to, to our investing group. Um, I think the only way we do it is by being transparent and constantly updating them. And so, uh, we absolutely listen. Um, their frustration is our frustration. And, uh, you know, we're, you know, the good news for me is I can do something about it. So it's, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's one of the joys of, of being in my role. hundred percent. All right, Ryan, I think we're pretty much there, man. Okay. With, with this, where can our audience go and find more information on Global Crossing Airlines? Yeah, if you just go to our website, uh, globalcrossingairlines.com, uh, there's an investor relations section. Our latest presentations are there. We are an S1, an effective U.S. filer. So our 10K has been recently filed. So that's there. Um, YouTube videos. If you Google Global Crossing Airlines, you'll see our latest investor. We do we we stream our um, investor calls, uh, so they're up there. So uh, 
it's, you know, we're out there or you can just call me. My number's on the press release. That's actually my number. So uh, just call me. I'll tell you what you need to know. <laughs> Good stuff. Man. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me here today. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look you forward bet. to our next update. You bet. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Talk soon. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.